all right, all right. Welcome back to Rogue Table Talks. This is Chad and Mike. We are privileged to be your hosts, and I just want to say thanks. We've heard some feedback from you guys, some chatter, some shout-outs, and so it's just an honor. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Whatever you may be up to, wherever you are, we are so appreciative. And just a little bit about us. This is a bit of a mobile podcast, so to speak. It's a first world problem that we have to keep finding different uh, rooms to record uh, to make sure it's as quiet as possible. And uh, so we are, we're here at Calvary, but today we're in a new space. Live from the Calvary prayer room. (laughs) (laughs) That sounded so good. (laughs) We should have you do that sometime. (laughs) It's actually not live. You're listening to it later. probably. (laughs) (laughs) Live for us, though. And we're alive. And and you're alive. alive. So, and this is uh, season one, episode six. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Not sure when we'll transition to season two, (laughs) but season one, episode six. And uh, glad you're joining us. We have some new content, some new information, uh, new series. Mike, tell us about it. We are, uh, well, for these, uh, for these Table Talks, this podcast, we start with uh, what we're teaching at Calvary on the weekend, and that's just really a jumping off point. So if you're part of Calvary and you're in that world, that's great. If you're not, you don't really need to track with that because we're going to use it as a reference point and go from there. But our new, uh, our new series is, uh, is going to start up in Judges, and, uh, or has started up by the time you, you get this. And just to set that up, where we are in the flow of the Bible... Um, we, you know, we've had Moses, he's gotten the law, the people, have, we've had the Exodus, they've gotten out of Egypt, they've wandered in the wilderness, uh, they went to the promised land the first time, knocked on the door, that didn't work so well, had to wander some more, uh, and then Joshua led them into the promised land, Jericho, the wall fall down, and God was giving them the land, and they were to drive the people out and uh, fully take the land. Uh, there was that recommitment where, you know, Joshua said, you know, I'm going to follow the Lord. And but they didn't really fully do that. Uh, they they and we'll talk about that as we go along. Uh, they didn't fully drive everyone out. Um, and once Joshua was gone, then this this period of the judges began. And uh, to set that up, Judges two, starting at verse ten. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. That's probably a key verse. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. So this set up this once. They got in there. They had the law. They had the land. They were God's promised people. They had the law. They had the land. They forgot what God had done. And they forsook, and that set up a cycle of they would drift away from God, they would get themselves into trouble, they would cry out for a, uh, a rescuer, God would raise up a judge to deliver them. There'd be a period of peace, and then the cycle would repeat. So that's sort of where we are uh, as we begin. That's the setting for the whole book of, of Judges. Yeah, and, and you think Judges, you know, book in the Old Testament... Mike did a great job recapping where we are, um, kind of Bible content and Bible history wise. It's probably not the first book you just, you know, hey, where should I start reading in the Bible? Or I'm looking for some good, you know, reflective material. I'm going to go to Judges. Uh, And yet, um, really rich stories Mm -hmm. here. 
um, tragic stories, a lot of grief, a lot of loss, a lot of destruction, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people um, doing what they want to do. And I think, as you said, key verse, like they've they didn't know the Lord. They kind of forgot what he, mm -hmm. he'd done. Right. So this drift away and then judges kind of records that. Mm -hmm. um, so today we're, you know, modern readers, we're Westerners coming to the Bible. Um, Mike, help us understand when we're looking at judges, uh, where are we in redemptive history? Like where are, where are we in the big picture of the story? And then how does that help us maybe read judges well? Um, what's for me? And maybe what's not for me. Yeah. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think that's a good question to consider whenever we read the Bible. Certainly we read the Old Testament because things that applied to Israel or to, you know, Abraham before there was Israel or whatever may not apply to us in the same way because we're in a different part of the story. Uh, so we're, you know, Jesus has come, we're post-cross, and they were not yet. And uh, in this part of redemptive history, God wanted to set up a nation to be a model for what God's people should be. Uh, and he used uh, that nation to be an agent of judgment on the people who were in the promised land because they'd had hundreds of years to, to repent and turn back and turn to God, and they did not. And that's a completely different situation that we'll, we'll never find ourselves in that situation on this side of the cross. We're just in a different spot. Yeah, how come? Like, why, why is that part not necessarily a good paradigm for us to view our world in? Well, because uh, all of God's wrath for sin has been poured out on Christ on the cross and paid for. So we don't have to be agents of wrath anymore. And so those who are alive, have their whole lifetime to accept or reject that grace that God offers, that payment for God's wrath. And if they reject it, then the wrath will come in after they're dead. We don't ever have to be agents of, of wrath. And in fact, God's not going to ask us as individuals, like, you need to enact justice here, uh, even though that's, that is what's happening here in Israel and the Old Testament. And I think that's important to remember because parts of part of the time we do we do feel like we want to enact justice. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It makes me think about just the there's a lot of uh, similarities between Israel and the church in the New Testament and and it's be hard to overstate some of those, mm -hmm. but there are some distinctions. And one of them is what um, you know theologians would call Israel as a church state nexus. Mm -hmm. That is their political governance right. was the scriptures. Right. It was the holy books. They so, were actually a theocracy. We hear about theocracies yes. and the threat of theocracy now, yes. but they were actually a theocracy. They were a theocracy, and I would argue it would be a mistake to carry that over and to apply that to the church or to any other nation, so to speak. Like, no one in the New Testament can now say we, by God's divine right, are the theocracy. Right. And that, and like you the said... the people of God are the church now. The people of God are the church. Right. Right. The people of God were an Israel theocracy. Now we're a church. Um, we're indigenous. We're all over the world. We're not in one place. But that also prevents us from doing harm. Yeah. It prevents us from saying, in the name of Jesus, we're the ones who have to execute the justice. Right. 
Um, we right. can pray for our political structures and seek to influence them, but the church is not that enacting upon uh, other right. people. That is not the role of the church to be yeah. the agent of wrath. Right. Uh, that God, uh, it, God is that agent and will be that agent in his own due time. Um, and Israel was supposed to be agent of blessing as well. They weren't yeah. only judgment. They right. were supposed to be... You know how 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 would it if it, if we didn't see Israel really fulfill their their role as a, as as their as a promised land as a promised people, what 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 would that have looked like? Like, what are some things that we would have seen had Israel really been God's people in the way He intended them to be? That's a really good question. I mean, it's hypothetical. Hypothetical. But I do think you get um, glimpses looking through the Old Testament, like when Israel was close to fulfilling this kind of commission from God. First of all, what was the commission? And I think Exodus 19, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. Well, what do priests do? Yeah. They mediate the knowledge of God. They help people find their way to God. They mediate blessing. They mediate healing. Um, They bring the grace of God, so to speak, to to their surroundings and the people around them. And that connects directly to priesthood of believers now, where we are called to be a, the church is a priesthood. Yeah. Yeah, I am a conduit, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. um, especially this side of the cross, uh, of peace. Mm-hmm. I'm a peacemaker, peace bringer. I'm blessed. I'm looking around. How can I usher in um, whatever God's kingdom is inviting me to there? Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, going back to that for them, a little bit with David, under King David's mm-hmm. reign, you have a king who submits to God. Sure. And we see that the people follow the leader. That's true in general. Um, they're submit on the whole submitting to God. And they're bringing blessing, blessing, you know, under Solomon, who benefited a little bit, Sheba comes in, they're hearing about God, they're blessing the nations around them. Right. Um, they are the light uh, on, on the hill. It's an attractive thing. Right. People are coming to see what's going on. Right. Yeah. Stark contrast to yeah. the book of Judges, where they reject the reign of God, do what's right in their own eyes, um, and they don't bring Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't really b- bring anything. <laughs> they don't bring necessarily justice there in a healthy way, um, but they, they don't bring blessing. Yeah, they reflect that purpose very, very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, of course, never never reflected um, fully. Uh, so even in their laws, um, you know, the poor were taking, you know, the year of Jubilee, that, you know, debts were forgiven every seven years, and you know, that, you know, the gleaning laws where, you know, grain was left in the field for the poor people, all of that in the law was supposed to model compassion and love and care for one another. Um, And so that that co-inhabitation of this political entity and God's people, even the laws were a reflection of God's character in a way. Um, And they were supposed to live that out and show the world what God, who God is really, and you've got the heart of God by living according to God's law. Yeah. Right. And in a sense that, that points, you know, that's what we ought to be doing, generally speaking. So that is the parallel between the nation and the church where we are supposed to be doing that in a different part of the story. Yeah, that hasn't changed. And, and uh, what's true there, and, and I think we'll talk about this in future uh, podcasts, what's true for them is true for us too, is we can fumble the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a significant fumble for them at this point in history. Um, and, 
the faithfulness to God is part of the way that we gain an audience to bring blessing to the world. And so when they reject that faithfulness, like how am I shaped by God's ways, then they forfeit the privilege mm -hmm. to bring blessing to the world. Right. Yeah. And ultimately we see later in the story that God brings judgment to Israel from other nations, mm -hmm. like the Babylonians mm -hmm. come and the Assyrians come and enact God's judgment and correction uh, before God restores them. Yeah. Um, so they are to drive out the people and to form this this new nation um, where they are going to live out and reflect God's laws and so on, but they don't really do that. Um, let's talk about that impulse to drive out the bad people. Where, oh, all right. Okay. Right? Because <laughs> there's something about that that's like, yeah, let's just drive out the bad people. Yeah. So let's drive out the bad people in our nation, in our church, in our whatever, if we just get rid of the bad people uh, and we look at this and we think, well, that's, you know, that's what God did. So maybe that's what I should do is drive the bad people out. So how, how are we getting that? When, what is wrong about that impulse? Yeah. Uh, and how, sh you know, how should we look at it differently? Well, maybe I'll speak to it a little theologically. And then if you want to make a different distinction mm -hmm. there, I think theologically um, you see this you know, go in and take the land, right? Mm -hmm. And and overcome the inhabitants. Mm -hmm. um, you see this one time. You know, people come to the Bible with all sorts of different objections, okay. problems, and I get it. I get it. We should right. think carefully about right. this. We really should. Um, but you don't see this. So God's people don't get to do this whenever they no, feel like it. No, absolutely yeah. not. Right. This is not a general mandate right. for Israel. Definitely not for us, but even for Israel. It's not a, in general, you can do this whenever you want because you have God's favor. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so you see that. Uh, they don't even really end up doing it. Right. right. They don't even end up doing it. They end up doing it. Yeah. You go back to Genesis and this is uh, justice. This is what, what some theologians call God's end time justice breaking into yeah. the present right. upon nations who've rejected God, upon mm -hmm. these people who've rejected God. Mm -hmm. um, and so you see all of these factors are going in. But the other thing I'd like to say is the Bible also shows at the same time that it does say these to these people come in and take the land, it also shows that it also exposes how the cycle of violence actually never solves violence. Mm -hmm. It exposes that as well, mm -hmm. um, that you see these things uh, happening through the scriptures and it's easy to think, oh, well, look, God's endorsing violence and that's that's right. just who he is. He's a God of violence. Right. Um, but really he also shows like violence doesn't, uh, it doesn't bring about true blessing, true transformation. Right. So we and think that, that there's that impulse there. Yeah. I think in the way that I would think about that, I think is the violence is, is, is an aspect when it's an aspect of God's judgment, when it's God's violence in, in righteous judgment upon evil, um, then that's one thing when it's our violence to do what we think is right and good, then that's something completely different. And I think it's super easy for us. And I don't necessarily mean with armies and bullets and bombs, mm -hmm. but in family relationships or, you know, anywhere where, okay, but yeah, I need to step in and, you know, knock some heads together here and make mm -hmm. sure everything is when that, if it's, God's probably not asking me to be his agent of judgment or justice. Yeah. 
he might ask me to tell the truth. He might ask me to say things that are difficult, but I don't think he needs me to be this, to be what Israel was to the Canaanites. He doesn't need me to do that to my brother or sister or neighbor or coworker, husband, wife, whatever, even if they're really wrong. Yeah. And I think that's a hard thing for us to live with sometimes. Well, I, and, I, and to me, that's a great point because what it does is it helps me start to ask a more difficult question. And you talked about the impulse to drive people out or to maybe fix people because that's a form of violence. Yeah. That impulse that this makes me uncomfortable. These bad people over here, whether it's, you know, I'm having a spat with a family member or it's someone I disagree with politically, someone, you know, who's makes, they don't like me. They don't dress like me. They don't talk like me. I need to fix them. What I'm really saying is you need to be like me so mm -hmm. I can be comfortable. Yeah. And that's a form of violence. It can, it can be a form of mm -hmm. violence that I use um, whatever forms necessary or attack or belittle or marginalize to try to make them mm -hmm. like me. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, it, it's a harder question to say, um, you know, oh, what's wrong with the world? It's all those bad people out there. Oh, you know, I just thought of this. This is a brilliant, you know, you remember G.K. Chesterton, mm -hmm. Catholic writer, mm -hmm. the, a newspaper put this ad out and said, you know, what's wrong with the world? Mm -hmm. And Chesterton was well known at the mm -hmm. time and he wrote in and all he said was in response to that, dear sirs, I am mm -hmm. yeah. yours truly, G.K. Right. Chesterton. Right. Yeah, I think that's the, the whole, the idea that, so Israel was set up as this agent of God. So it was God acting through Israel and we're never going to be in that situation. And when we, when we, when we put ourselves in the situation, we forget that we are, also, and perhaps even more, uh, under the, you know, in need of correction, in need of judgment, God's wrath has just been poured out on Christ for me. Um, and I think that's to set us, the us and them, the good people, bad people, that mm -hmm. whole dynamic that we see here where God's people are driving out. That's a, that's a one time only mm -hmm. thing. Yep. And, and we can never be that uh, on our own. Um, I do feel like there is, um, part of groaning in a broken world is living with there's going to be some injustice that I can't do anything about that God is waiting for whatever reason and it might be he's giving the unjust person time to repent it might be lots of things mm -hmm. and that sometimes I'm the unjust person yeah right and that that's the that's the magic I think the magic bullet for for my heart is all the things that I believe maybe rightly about you there are times, maybe even right now, and I'm unaware of it, where other people are looking at me and thinking a very similar version sure. of the same thing, or I'm the unjust person. Hypothetically, not you. Hypothetically, not me. Really. Jacob is what, you know, <laughs> Jacob's sitting right I don't want to say Jacob out loud, but the, we all know we mean Jacob. Um, you know, that's the thing where we forget, because we're never going to be in the position that Israel is acting on God's behalf. And so their actions are righteous because he's he's actually doing it through them. Where we're never going to be in that position. And in fact, sometimes we are the people who need mm. justice. Mm. And God's enacted it for us through Christ on the cross. Yeah, and it's hard to say that. It's hard to say, it's hard to own what the church or I or we have done mm -hmm. in the name of the church. Right. Um, maybe... Or put ourselves in this position. Put right. ourselves in this position. Um, right. You know, where we've... Uh, enacted some form of violence of other religions, 
right. you know, people's of different walks, different sexualities, mm -hmm. uh, gender, whatever it may be. Um, but that's the question for mm -hmm. us. You know, I think of just kind of the, the brilliant psychoanalyst, young Carl Jung, who basically is kind of theories could be summed up with, if you see something in that other person that agitates you, and I use this in pastoral counseling all the time, mm -hmm. people come, you know, sure. this person, this, yeah. and this person, that, and I get it, I hear yeah. you validate. And yet if it's easily recognizable in the other person, that's because it's somewhere in me. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in me, I'm up to the same thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's mm -hmm. the question yeah. like, Oh, log spec question. Mm -hmm. How am I, how am I doing that? Mm -hmm. Where I'm do really I need comfortable with my own yeah. sin? Yeah. yeah. Um, so just to sort of finish the redemptive history point, if, if, you know, where we are in the flow of things in contrast, uh, in explicit contrast, you know, Paul says first Corinthians, first Corinthians nine, that, you know, we're to be all things to all people to the Jew who became like the Jew to win the Jews, you know, and so what they weren't supposed to do in a sense to sort of blend in, um, that we are in a situ different situation now where we're more like israel in exile in babylon where we sort of have to be subversive agents of right we don't have oh authority, my gosh i like that right that's good we you know we have to sort of do it uh in through not through power or authority but through transformation and influence in other ways uh to become you know to the babylonians i became like a babylonian to win the babylonians um and what does that mean for us and you know second corinthians 5 that we're ambassadors that we have to sort of live in both kingdoms, God's kingdom and this new kingdom where ambassadors and represent, understand where we are and represent God's truth in a different way. And all of this sort of like an ambassador isn't in his own country. He's yeah. in another country. Right. And that's sort of, we're not in our promised land. We're in, we're aliens and strangers as the New Testament says. And I think to become fully comfortable with that is is freeing probably in mm -hmm. a way but in a way we'd rather think about this as my home country and it should be this way and should be that way and should be fixed this way and so on well i i think that's so relevant for the way um christians are viewed or maybe viewing today and what you just said i think is really key so less like promised land more like exile yeah, yeah. less like hey we're the power structure um, and more like, no, we're the subversive kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, the language has changed. Mm -hmm. The landscape has changed. The values have changed mm -hmm. and it's not coming back. Mm -hmm. And 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 I get it for people. That's a hard uh, cultural shift. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's more clear than ever. But we got to grieve that. We got to transition because the invitation is now, how do I live well yeah. as an exile? Right. In a, in a foreign land, in a place where I do not feel at home, and maybe people don't like me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at Daniel, you know, his, he's a perfect example of Daniel is in the court of the Babylonians. And, you know, how does he confront the society around him? He really confronts it by living faithfully. And, you know, he gets thrown in the lines then because he refuses to quit praying. And so that that's a different sort of confrontation where he's he's the lesser and he's mm -hmm. being made subject to and it's God who is his rescuer. And that's probably why we're not super comfortable with it, because mm. we'd rather not we'd rather not be subject to the whatever the lion's den is for us. And but that's really the what we're that's our calling now is to, you know, whatever the 
penalties that come are going to be penalties that are not like Israel driving out. You know, it's be more like Daniel, you know, getting unjustly cast into the lion's den and God having to rescue him. Yeah. And in fact, and in fact, there are Christians, you know, even as we speak or in similar circumstances where they're really experiencing hardship. Um, it strikes me too that one of, you know, how do Christians change the world? Mm-hmm. And it's probably, is it through this method in a way, it's how the Roman Empire was changed. The Roman Empire was changed because a whole bunch of people became Christians, yeah. right? It wasn't some sort of other program. Um, you know, I think of Acts 19 where, you know, the whole economy of Ephesus is thrown asunder because Christians stopped buying little, you know, statuettes of Artemis. Right. And, you know, is that, do we have the ability to control the world or change the world in ways, but they're sort of these subversive where we're, what we're doing is living out our faith in such a powerful way that it shakes up things around us. I mean, what would the world be like if Christians really embraced that but in order to do that and if you're if you're listening and writing things down i'd go back and just listen to the past uh seven minutes because i feel like we're stumbling you ever you ever in a conversation you feel like oh my goodness this feels like a conversation mm-hmm. about everything mm-hmm. this feels like that mm-hmm. i feel like we're stumbling this and maybe a podcast about everything <laughs> maybe it's new title maybe stumbling title, isn't a fair word yeah. because there are notes here <laughs> but what what do we have to let go of with a promised land mentality in order to move into an exilic mentality? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, promised land mentality is I'm going to change structures from the top down. You know, I'm going to change it with, Mm -hmm. you know, getting into places of power. power, Exactly. Um, And I, and I I feel like that's gone. Like Mm -hmm. let those go. Um, I'm not even sure if that was the way in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, But now like you're talking about, but I'm in exile. And there's this wonderful passage in Jeremiah 29 to the people in exile. And, and you know what it says? Mm-hmm. It says, uh, when you're there in exile in Babylon, seek the flourishing mm-hmm. of the city. Seek the flourishing seek of the city the you're in. That's not yeah. your city. It's, it's not your city. city. You can't think, oh, I got to change it. This city's so evil and mm-hmm. wicked and I got to mm-hmm. bring it down. Yeah. And, if I, and if I ruled the city, mm-hmm. right? If we could just take yeah. over, right. that's promised land mentality. Right. Exile mentality is just like you were talking about. How do I live out my faith in such a way where, oh, maybe I'm not buying the, you know, statuettes to Artemis. Mm-hmm, right. Or maybe I'm, you know, set apart like Daniel and I'm resisting in a healthy way and it's inviting conversations or it's inviting persecution mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But it's not promised land mentality. It's exile mm-hmm. mentality. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's probably, I mean, we could do probably a whole series of podcasts on how that would maybe look or ways that it would look um, going forward. But I do think that it's important as we talk about judges to keep that in mind. Yeah, It's also, I think, interesting to notice that when they had the levers of power, it's not like it went super awesome. That's true. Right? That's true. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the, the church flourished... And, you know, from the 70 people in an upper room, you know, Pentecost comes, they're in the, you know, the midst of the Roman Empire. And, you know, three centuries later, they had essentially infiltrated to the point where they were, you know, now, you know, dominant in the, in the, in the world. But when they actually got dominant, maybe it didn't go so well. And here's Israel where they have, they have the promised land. And it, once they got to a place where they got, were able to get comfortable, they got comfortable. Yeah. And then 
they drifted away, fell into sin. You know, bad things happened, a foreign nation came, whatever, took away the lovers of power, they cried out for deliverance. And that's the cycle of, of judges. God raises up a judge to deliver them. And so I think that what we think what we think is the right solution if we just had the levers of power, if I was king for a day, it, it, A, we're not in that place. B, probably wouldn't work out that well. <laughs> yeah, the, the Bible definitely shows it hasn't worked out uh, that well, especially for the flourishing of faith. Yes. So, okay, judges, the people get there and they they drift, they compromise, they don't they don't do everything God wants them to do. Uh, and in Judges 2, where we looked earlier, the angel of the Lord calls them out on it. Uh, and in, in uh, 2.4, which I think is a, a verse that's sticking with me, when the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. Hmm. And so what, what place is there to confront our own, to look squarely at our own compromise, our own fallenness, our own sin, and weep, to live honestly and truthfully in that way. And then what is the right way to do that? Because I think we can get it wrong in both directions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you reminded me of, uh, last week I was doing some study, uh, and I grabbed, uh, a magazine and I'd never seen it before. Um, and I was flipping through it and, uh, on one page it was showing kind of these mass graves. This just terrible. And, and, and the bones of people mm -hmm. who had decayed just this terrible thing. And it's, and just the caption was, um, you know, do you care? Have you wept? Mm -hmm. And I sat with that and I thought, what, what, what is going on? And I turned the page and it was an ad for a perfume. The next page was an ad for a perfume that said, oh, well, whatever, never mind. Wow. And I thought, oh, my. That's an honest ad. And how quickly, mm -hmm. how quickly do we turn away from the invitation for weeping, for mm -hmm. mourning, for repentance? Um, how easy, I guess. Yeah. If you want a distraction, there's a billion coming your way. Right. right? right. There's, a there's a million right. of the perfume you know, right. whatever's coming your way. Oh, well, whatever, never yeah, that's mind. That's pretty profound, really, because that's exactly what we do probably multiple times a day. Yeah. I don't want to look at this. Oh, what's on Facebook? Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't want to face that. Oh, let's, you know, Netflix um, or whatever, or, or more work or even, you know, good things. All of those things can be good. Uh, it's just, it's not that they're bad. It's that they're, we're doing them instead of, instead of weeping and, and mourning. I, cause I do think that there's a sense that, you know, sometimes I get tired of my own self, yeah. right? I get tired of my own sin and it's sort of like, I just, you you know, there's a, there's a, there's a healthiness in coming to the end of yourself and just saying, okay, God, I got nothing. Mm -hmm. I can't, I, I got nothing. I can't bring you any, I don't have a good report. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, I think we can get to that place or we can fall off one side, which is just, I'm horrible. I'm bad. 
I'll never do anything right. God can never use me. Right. Shame, self-hatred. Shame, 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 shame. Yeah, yeah. Or the other side is, you know what? I'm not bad. It's fine. You know, yeah, no one's perfect. You know, um, it's really not that big of a problem. Gloss over it. So one, we can sort of wallow in it. And I can find myself doing either one. Yeah. Wallow in it in an unproductive sort of way where it's really not about... uh, you know, me in relationship to God, it's really about me trying to make myself feeling better in, a, in an odd way by wallowing in my, or to by glossing it over. And, yeah, one of them is, you know, you you couldn't meet your own standards and there's a measure of self-pity yes. and self-absorption in there. And the other one is like, I didn't meet my own standards, but who cares? No yeah, one's meeting their right, own standards. Right. One of them feels like, you know, when we get to those places, we're playing up God's holiness and playing down his love. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, we're playing up his love and playing down his holiness. Yes, and I think the tension for the for us is to toe that with the gospel is how, how do we keep both of those in sight? Mm-hmm. You know that God loves me so much that 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 anything I do can never change that love, and yet that He died on the cross, and so with everything I am, I want to try to live faithfully. Yeah, in holding those in, in tension. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I, I don't know that it's not the case that in either case, I'm just trying to make myself feel better. Like the feeling of that, I don't like. So I'm going to distract myself or make myself feel better by feeling bad about it for an appropriate amount of time. And yeah, then, I'm going to pay penance. Yeah, penance, really. Yeah. yeah, no, I felt bad about that, like I should. Right. And, you know, okay. <laughs> God's got grace for me, which is all true. It just... You know, what's the sense of it driving me towards him? Like we see the psalmist doing, you know, what is what is that there? Because I think that's what we see in the, the cycle of judges. And yeah, just, I was going to say, it feels like you're talking about a cycle that we can all fall into. Totally. Yeah. Right? We, we sin, and then we do something with that. We rationalize it, we right. justify it, right. uh, or we go to the other we end, wallow. Right. we wallow in it, we try to pay penance. Well, I don't feel bad enough. Mm-hmm. And we work ourselves into feeling bad enough. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that feels like a cycle. What is? How does that relate to the cycle of the judges? Yeah, I think that that's the. I mean, the interesting thing about judges is, and this is, I think, that you know, different place in redemptive history, different you know practices and rituals and whatever. But some of the stuff is pretty. It is. It does translate directly. Like this whole cyclical nature that we see play out over decades or even you know longer in in this case we might happen in our life in some senses over days or weeks or months or years where peace prosperity smoothness goodness it's all good drift distance sin you know uh, consequences um bondage and then uh uh-oh cry out, you know, and God delivers in some way. Whew. Good. Peace. Right. Us, you know, right. That that cycle can happen for us pretty quickly or it so can happen over. There's the absence. Uh, and I, I want to talk to me about the importance of those, those moments in the, the comfort or the, the success, yeah. the yeah. victory. Right. Like th- it's oftentimes that we lament those things in our lives, the, that, the presence of pain, 
the presence of conflict, mm -hmm. the presence of uh, trial. Mm -hmm. I think about it even in a relationship, in a marriage, or in a career, um, or in families, or parenting, whatever it might be. Usually, if we're aware of it, what we have is the presence of pain, and then we say, oh, if only this pain were gone, right? Deliver me from the Deliver pain. me from the pain. If only this thing were solved. And so we go at like working at the problem. Um, but I would just say like the, the, the presence of that pain is maybe the gift that we need in the relationship. Because mm -hmm. this cycle that you're talking about shows us something about success. Mm -hmm. Success is, is harder to walk in than defeat and mm -hmm. failure. Because we, we, you, you're defeat and failure, you don't have anything. <laughs> you don't have anything to lose uh, or pain uh, and, and the presence of conflict or spiritual grind or warfare, whatever it is. Like those things mm -hmm. are really great gifts to us. Yeah. We don't usually handle comfort and success that well. Right. And that's one of the things right. that Judges shows us. Yeah. So that, that thing that maybe is getting in the way of your relationship or that you think is getting right. in the way of your relationship, right. like, oh, might be the if invitation. It to might deeper, be. Right, yeah, that's actually might be the invitation. Yeah, because I think that one of the things, speaking of where we are in redemptive history now, I mean, we our peace, our, our shalom, our fulfillment finally and fully will come after Christ returns, afterward, after we're with him in eternity. And now we're sort of not totally wired for it, right? We're not. Hmm. And so... It, what we can tend to think, we, we can tend to treat God transactionally, like it's his job to give me peace and comfort and smoothness. I don't have it. I'm going to cry out. Uh, and it might be I don't have it because of whatever sin and I've done stuff wrong or whatever. Once I get back to a place of peace, comfort, smoothness, I thank you, God. I got what I wanted. Yeah. And I'll call you later when I need you. Like, and that's exactly the thing we don't need, mm. right? Because we we overplay the peace and prosperity. We probably overplay both ends of the cycle mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that, you know, we're never beyond hope, but we're never like totally, like it's all good. It's all, you know, it's, a, it's all good, peace, prosperity. You can expect from God no further bumps or, or bruises. That's really not, that's heaven. Yeah. <laughs> that's That's really not, we're not built for that yet because we need to live in dependence on God. We need deliverance in a sense every day. We need to be delivered from ourselves. You know, we're supposed to pray, deliver me from evil mm. every day because we, this, you know, in a sense, we almost need to speed the cycle up. Yeah. Right? Like we need to live the cycle every day where I, I realize my need for God to continue to deliver me uh, all the time. Yeah. And, and I think I get it. It's, it's human. It's our impulse. Um, and yet it probably keeps us stuck at a level of immaturity. Like I want something, I want this, therefore God give it to me. Mm -hmm. And I would just say getting what you want may actually be the worst thing mm -hmm. for you. And really God's answer of no or wait might be the best answer for us. Yeah. Even though we feel like, God, you're done. What are you not hearing? And like, yeah, no, I'm hearing you. Yeah. Uh, because it's not, we couldn't handle it. Is it sense. okay to let that go? Yeah. Is it to okay trust. to hand that right. over? Right. Um, to live in faith in that real way. Yeah. Uh, and for me, uh, one of the, so one of the takeaways that I have is the importance of, in a sense, living the cycle out in, re in reminding ourselves of our need of deliverance, 
to not becoming, you know, if they forgot the Lord, drifted away, so on. You know, how do we how do we enact spiritual habits? How do we continue some sort of spiritual rhythm uh, to remind us of our need and to live? You know, whether that's worship regularly with God's people and community, prayer, you know, meditation, Bible reading, service, well, all these things that we're called to do. We don't do them to earn anything, but we do them to sort of live out this, in a sense, enact this dependence that we need of God, without which we will tend to be like the people and judges during good times. We'll forget and we'll drift. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, do I need to do this? Well, not to maintain my salvation, but to remember who I really am, where I really am in the story, what God's really up to how far he still needs to bring me. All of these things are things that are good for me to remember. And without some sort of spiritual rhythm and habits, I'm probably not going to. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, if, you know, in terms of a takeaway for, for me, that's one of the things that I'm, okay, well, is what I'm doing kind of reminding me and, and bringing me back to dependence and, because I can have things that I do regularly that aren't there's their spiritual habits in sort of the formal sense, but they're not really doing that for me. Like maybe they're making me feel good about myself or yeah. I'm reading the Bible in such a way that it really is turning me more into a Pharisee than it is sort of it. Cause I, how do I, how do I split the difference between a spiritual habit or rhythm that is actually drawing me independence and deeper and, sometimes even causing me to look at my brokenness and weep and call for de deliverance. And if that's never happening, I might need to think about what I'm, you know, what my spiritual habits are. Yeah. Yeah. The marker is supposed to remind you and, and in some way form you, mm -hmm. right? It, the, the spiritual rhythm, the mm -hmm. disciplines of meditation, prayer, mm -hmm. worship, all of those things mm -hmm. in some way it's, they're supposed to be formative. Mm -hmm. They're not earning, right. but they are formative. Right. right. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's mm -hmm. a really good takeaway. I think for me, for me, my takeaway is the, the seductive power of success mm -hmm. and just to be mindful of it because we are just kind of inundated and programmed to think this is what God and the spiritual life should be about is I go upward to the next level. Sure. Yeah. Um, and this is just how it's supposed right. to be. We achieve the next chapter, the next level, the next mm -hmm. rung, the next status, mm -hmm. the next promotion, the next thing. Um, and usually it's the absence of, yeah. of pain, right. the absence of conflict, the absence of the grind. Um, the grind is the gift. Yeah. That's my takeaway right. for me. Like, oh, what if I just paid more attention to those places uh, that I'm trying to get rid of? Mm -hmm. Those, the problems may actually be the solution. Mm -hmm. right. um, and right. it keeps me, as you said, I like that a dependent person mm -hmm. uh, rather than a, yeah. a functioning atheist, an independent yeah. person. The struggle is actually not a sign that something's wrong. But struggle, it's not, yeah. Maybe it's yeah. something we need. Um, well, that'll probably do it for this week. Uh, we're going to continue uh, in Judges coming uh, in the next in the weeks to come. And we're going to talk about some more sort of thorny, difficult issues uh, that will present themselves. Uh, and we, uh, uh, our prayer for you uh, is our prayer for us, that we will walk in dependence, that we will uh, be driven closer to, uh, to God and to one another in such a way that 
models what God calls us to model in this day and age, in this part of the redemptive story that really reflects his glory. So with that, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.